Well, good morning. I'd like to welcome you all into Redwood. If you're, uh, if you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. If uh, uh, you're a regular, we're glad that you're here as well, too. And uh, just like to welcome you in on, on this first Sunday morning of June. It doesn't seem like it was that long ago I was up here saying welcome to 2018, and now we're almost halfway through it. It's kind of crazy. If you're, uh, if you're a guest with us, um, I'd like to kind of point something out to you. Gretchen mentioned this card there at the beginning, this connection card. This is a way we can connect with you. This is why we named it the connection card. That's how creative we are around here. Um, but this card just allows us to find out a little bit more about you. So if you're visiting, you can, you can mark in there you're a visitor. You can put some information, and we can follow up with you. But this also has a couple of other boxes on it. Our mission here is that we try to help people say yes to their next step, whatever that might be. And on this, this, uh, this front of this card, there are several boxes for your next step. A couple of those include that you would uh, like to get involved. That means serving around the church here. And, and we actually had to change that because it did say, I'd like to get engaged. And some people thought we were starting a singles ministry, and that's not exactly what we were going for with that, especially since the follow-up to that is, we'd like to say yes to getting engaged. So we changed that. So if you want to get involved through ministry to some degree, you can check that box, and you can write out there in the space beside it how you would like to get involved. Another one is that you would like to uh, get connected to a home group. That's another good one to do that. Um, you can put on there, and you can put maybe your age, what you're looking for in a group. There's another sheet in your bulletin that has all of our groups uh, listed. We've actually got a new one at, at my house. It's starting uh, this week. So you can, you can ask some of those group leaders about those. Matt and Christine are over here. You can ask them about those as well, too. And we'll try to get you plugged into a group. Uh, but you can fill that out, and you can put it in, in the offering bags when they come by here in a little while. Another area that we, we try to say yes to is saying yes to ministry and saying yes to sending our people out to do ministry. And this is a church that, over its history, has done a great job of sending people out into the ministry field, into Bible college, into different churches, uh, all across this area, all across this nation. And today we get to bring back one of our own uh, who is in the process of being sent out. She doesn't really need much of an introduction because she's related to 94% of this church. Um, but if you aren't familiar with her, Megan York is, is here. I, I think I'm in the 6%. I haven't nailed down if I'm related to you yet or not. But um, Megan, is a, she grew up in this church. She's a, a senior at Boise Bible College, um, headed into uh, to ministry. I'll let her tell more of her story when she gets up here. Uh, but we're excited to have her as we continue our 316 series today. So please welcome Megan York. Thanks. What an entrance. <laughs> Good morning. Um, as Kurt said, my name's Megan, and I was raised in this church, and so thank you all for those who changed my diapers when I was young. I appreciate that. Um, and for also just being so encouraging and praying beside me as I decided to go into ministry. And uh, it's been quite a journey. I've been there for three years, but I'm looking forward to having my senior year in this coming school year. I got a job offer in Eugene, Oregon to do family ministry and children's ministry with some awesome people, so I'm looking forward to that. They also said I could write my own job description, and I couldn't say no, so <laughs> that was pretty exciting. But um, yeah, so excited to be here and to share this message with you guys this morning. A recap for those of you who weren't here last week, we are in this four-week sermon series on John 3.16, and Kurt explained that our punishment for sin is death. He explained how sin came into the world, and in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve disobeyed, which got them kicked out of the 
the garden because God can't be in the presence of sin. And Romans 3 explains that sin leads to death, and ultimately sin is a separation from God. Today I get to continue where Kurt left off and talk about how God's answer to death is love. But let's pray before we get into this. God, your holiness is overwhelming. And we desire to be in relationship with you, but our sin and our fleshly nature makes us unworthy. Please help me to communicate to this congregation how your love not only changed the world, but changed our lives. Your love is deep and, and messy, but we ask for clarification as we dive into your word to find understanding and truth. Amen. So, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in John 3. I'm going to read verse 1 to 16, if you want to follow along. So now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs, which you, uh, signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised by my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, says Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So we're going to talk about Nicodemus today because he's the main character in here and other than Jesus, and Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a well-educated man that was wealthy and very zealous for the Torah and the, the Old Testament law. He had a family and was well-known for being a religious leader. Nicodemus recognized Jesus to be a great teacher from God, and did you notice that Jesus asks a question that Nicodemus answered, Jesus answers a question that Nicodemus didn't ask. I wonder if Jesus already knew what Nicodemus was thinking and what he had on his mind. Otherwise, it would have been awkward for this man to come to Jesus at night and say how great he is just to turn around and leave. It's very likely that Nicodemus came at night because of fear. I imagine he snuck up the back stairway outside of the house Jesus was staying at. He would have been fearful for his safety and for being excommunicated. He would lose everything if he was caught with Jesus. We have to remember that Jesus was considered a rebel during his time. That he, throughout his whole ministry, he was loving the unlovable, and he was out teaching the best teachers. It was no wonder that Nicodemus wanted to hear what he had to say. It appears that Nicodemus was looking for answers about how to get into the kingdom of God. 
And this makes sense because he's, that's what he spent his whole life aiming to do, is to get into the kingdom of God. And when Jesus said, you must be born again, again in the Greek can mean um, to be born from above. So Nicodemus um, would have heard him say, you must be born from above. But he, Nicodemus isn't even tracking. He doesn't understand what Jesus is even talking about. And in verse 9, he says, what, how can this be? And we know Jesus is patient, but I imagine his frustration as, um, as Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and he should already know exactly what Jesus is talking about. He knew the, in, the history of Israel and the Torah inside and out. Jesus says in verse 10, you are Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things? Jesus goes on to say that he's already simplified the answer that Nicodemus didn't really ask. And Jesus says the most profound statement, which we know to be John 3.16. This simple yet deep verse really rocked the boat. While studying this section, I was fascinated to understand why Jesus would choose to say that God loved the world. For Nicodemus, the disciples, and most of the people that were there that day, that night, uh, what would have come to their mind was probably not that Jesus would come for the world, but that Jesus would come for the religious people, for God's chosen people, for, for his Jews. And today we tend to insert who or what God loves. For God so loved Megan, for God so loved the churchgoers, for God so loved the perfect, for God so loved a good person that he gave his one and only son. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about something much bigger. He says that I came for the world, for all people. So how does God respond to death with love? God had a plan. Once sin entered the world, God gave the Ten Commandments to the Israelites, and he said, if you can keep these laws perfectly, then you can come into my presence. And God recognized that this was an impossible thing to do because our flesh is so weak. And God responded to death with love through a Messiah, a promised one, who would be the sacrifice needed to cover the sins of the world. And last week, Kurt explained how we are slaves to sin, and it is our master, and, and we choose to obey it. The Israelites were given every opportunity to, or Israelites were given specific instructions from God, but I've always wondered about those who weren't given the Ten Commandments. Because I used to think, I can't expect people to know, to obey God's commandments if they don't even know him. I can't hold them to a standard that they don't know about. They don't know who my God is. And then I took this class about Romans, where Paul's writing to these Gentiles and Jews, and in Romans 2 he says, all who sin, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciousness, also bearing witness to their thoughts. And in summary, all people are under and are to obey God's commands. God's laws are woven into our being with our ethics, our consciousness, our standards, our ability to determine what is right and wrong because we're made in God's image. Therefore, the, the world, the Jew, the Gentile, you and me are all in need of God's plan uh, to bring us solution to our sin problem. So God gave, so God also responded to death with love by giving a solution. 
Jesus left his position on the throne in heaven to become a man and obey God's law perfectly. He died in order to satisfy God's wrath. He conquered death and made a way for all to be in relationship with God. In Paul's letter to the Roman church, he says in chapter 5, verse 6, You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And please don't think that God was keeping um, these laws uh, in the dark about how to live. It'd be crazy for a parent to have rules yet punish the child for not knowing the rules. But actually, God's plan was to use the Israelites to share the promise of the Messiah. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, um, God talking to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless your name great. Uh, I will make your name great, and, I will and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And I don't quite get why the Israelites didn't get that. Maybe this, they just decided not to read that part, or they just crossed it out. But I think about Naomi and Ruth. And the summary of their story is you have uh, Naomi having two sons and a husband who all die, and so Naomi's left with her two, grand, her two daughter-in-laws, and Ruth being one of them. And these daughter, daughter-in-laws are Moabite women who probably shouldn't have been married to these Jewish men anyway, but they're foreigners, and, and Naomi had nothing to offer them, so she thinks. So she says, go home, go back to your people, go back to your gods. I have nothing. I can't, I can't do anything for you. So the one daughter-in-law is like, all right, I guess I'll go back and worship my own gods and be with my own people. But then Ruth says, I'm not leaving. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And Naomi and most of the Israelites are similar in that they don't get that God called them to be missionaries and to share God's love with all people. Uh, Ruth, a foreigner, understood that God in his love and his mercy allowed her to join in the family. And we even see Ruth's name in Jesus' genealogy, which is really amazing. So maybe there's a Christian who's gotten in the way of you coming to Jesus, and if that's the case, I'm really sorry. I, I often hear about how these Christians are such hypocrites, and how dare they expect me to live like that when they can't live it that life that way themselves. And, and following Jesus is hard. It's making a choice daily to deny your sinful nature and to deny your old self and actually believe what God says when he says, you're now my child. And you are now holy and righteous because Jesus makes you holy and righteous. Christians, if we can accept that God, what God says is true about us, then we will begin to walk confidently with Christ. God responded with love by having a plan and having a solution, but lastly, by giving us a choice. Israel, for example, has been given every opportunity to obey God and become holy like he was. But most of them became distracted by the culture around them. For example, the culture had a king. So Israel said, we want a king. And God said, no, I'm your king. And they said, no, we want a king. So God gave them a king. And it just ended up in a train wreck. We got families killing families to come into power. We got war all around them. And eventually Israel divides as a nation. And we, we got Samaritans, we got Jews, we got religious people. And Nicodemus, too, was distracted by his culture. 
He didn't recognize that Jesus was the Messiah he'd been waiting for. He'd spend his whole life devoting to find and know the Messiah. Nicodemus let fear prevent him from coming to God. He's mentioned two other times. In John 7, 50, he's defending Jesus publicly, kind of. He's, his uh, Pharisee buddies are kind of ganging up on Jesus, and Nicodemus sticks his head in there and says, hey, maybe we should give him a fair trial. All right. Uh, the other time he's mentioned, though, is in John 19, 39, after Jesus' death on the cross. And Nicodemus purchased 75 pounds worth of myrrh and oils. And he put it on Jesus and they, as they wrapped him up in linens and put him in the grave. But this amount of oils used was the amount used for a king. So eventually we know that Nicodemus made a, dis, made a choice to follow Jesus and recognize that he was the king of his life. God's answer to death is love, and when we accept this, we no longer have to live in fear as Nicodemus was. We are freed from sin when we accept God's promise. In summary, God's response to death is love, and he, make, and he always has a plan, a solution, and gives us a choice. So application for today, if you're like Nicodemus, and you're unsure what to think, just know that Jesus knows what you need. One of my favorite quotes is from a professor who said, uh, you wouldn't be here if God wasn't thinking about you right now. You wouldn't be here if God wasn't thinking about you right now. And Nicodemus was a man who was caught up in these cultural pressures, even when he believed he was doing the right thing. Good people don't go to heaven, I'm sorry to tell you that, but those who accept Jesus do, because God's solution to death is Jesus. If you're like Nicodemus and you're unsure what to think, know that God made a way for all people to come to him, including you. Jesus wants you just the way you are. You don't need to change first. You don't need to stop this or that habit before he accepts you. Jesus knew that Nicodemus was searching for answers, and he knew that Nicodemus was ashamed to talk to him, but nothing prevented Jesus from, from taking the time to love Nicodemus. If you're like Nicodemus and you're relying on your own strength or your own knowledge, know that Nicodemus couldn't achieve salvation on his own. I'm sure he tried. He was a great religious man. He was a great family man, teacher, politician, but he still needed Jesus and he was still searching for something. If you're like Nicodemus and you're relying on your own strength and knowledge, know that you are made to be loved by God. And he's waiting for you to allow him to be the king of your life. It took Nicodemus a while, but he continued to search and ask questions to be sure that this was the Messiah he'd been looking for. Nicodemus risked everything to follow Jesus. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you already knew everything I had to say today, I hope this was an encouraging reminder. Remember that God's love is simple. When we read John 3:16 or quote it, remember that there are people involved in this story. And this story is about Nicodemus, a man who was lost and confused and needed the truth of Jesus. Don't worry about saying the wrong things or overcomplicating the gospel. It can speak for itself. Just tell the world about Jesus and how he's changed your life. If you're a follower of Jesus and you already knew everything I had to say today, Know that God's love is deep, and the more you dive into his word, the more we know who God is and who he says that you are. In conclusion, when we encounter God's love, we are changed, which leads us to respond in faith. So next week, the next 
person giving the message will explain how uh, our love for God re- makes, helps us to respond uh, in faith. So will you pray with me? Jesus, you are so awesome, and I'm just amazed that you chose to come and save us. You, you had a choice in this too, just like we do, and you decided to give it all. You gave your life without even taking a breath. You just did it, and you, you jumped in, and you saved us all. For those who are searching, God, I pray that this was just uh, a little taste of what else you have for them to learn about you. And for those who are on the fence, God, just remind them who you say that they are. And for those who already know you and are just filled with your spirit already, I pray that you will give them the courage to keep going and sharing your message to the world. God, you are so good, and we can't even come close to understanding how much you really do love us. But we thank you for everything you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen.